powerful statements Jesus makes. Who he is. The door, the good shepherd. They will look at him as the bread of life. Well, very life-giving words if you examine these, these sayings and understand who Christ is. Before we dive into that passage this morning, and before we transition, I'm going to come back to Breakthrough, and I'm going to get into that in my message. I'm going to take a little bit lighter note here. I want to bring attention to, some of you may or may not know or realize or remember, a year ago today, Shelly and I came to West Lafayette. We thought for a mission service, and God has some other plans in mind, and that's okay, we always let him do what he wants, um, but we were introduced to West Lafayette, so Pastor Ted, he took us to Bruno's on Saturday, took us to Sheshwan Garden on Sunday, if you know Pastor Ted, you know that's a favorite place, um, but so we got introduced a little bit to West Lafayette, so I just felt like it was only fitting that I introduce you to where we were living a year ago, Ozark, Missouri, some of you are familiar with the Ozarks. And there's a restaurant there called Lambert's. Anybody know what Lambert's is? Some of you do. Some of you have been down there. Yep, we've got some hoops and hollers. All right. So it's known as, you look on the billboards, as the place of throwed rolls. That's not my English. That's not my grammar. That's, that's <laughs> Shelly said it's hers. She's from Kentucky. <laughs> oh, that's good. So place is the throwed rolls. So what it is is you go in. You sit down, you're going to order your food, and what they do is they come around with throwed rolls. So, I'm going to introduce you, ladies and gentlemen, to Lambert's this morning. You got to call for that roll. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes says there's a time to mourn, there's a time to laugh, so you can determine what that was a time for. Usually pretty serious in my messages, but I just thought we needed to go a little bit different route this morning. And of course, I know you'll never forget Jesus as the bread of life. And he is. Who says you can't have fun in church, right? You know, it's uh, as we look to what Jesus talks about is him as a, the bread of life. What I want to do is see him through John chapter 6. I'm actually going to look at a number of passages in this chapter. And as we look at John chapter 6, here's what we're going to find as we look at Jesus as the bread of life. We're going to find that you can display the compassion of Christ by feeding the hungry, delivering people from danger, and sharing his story. It's an interesting combination for the compassion of Christ. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. I hope you always have your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, you can find one in the seat beneath you. If you don't have one at home, feel free to take it as a gift from the church. But what I'm going to do is look at the first I am statement of Christ. It's in John chapter 6. So I've gone out of order based on where we're at and what we're trying to walk through and do. And so I'm going to actually read from several passages this morning. So I'm not going to ask you to stand today for the reading of God's word, because what I'm going to do is provide a little bit of a running commentary as we go through some of the narratives in this book. 
Because what we find is the I am statement of Christ of I am the bread of life happens smack dab in the middle, but he's going to address a couple of things as we look at him as the bread of life, as our compassionate Savior. So I'm going to be in John chapter 6. You can join me in your Bible. Just simply follow along. Starting in verse 1. And Jesus uh, begins here, John, the gospel writer. He says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And now I'm going to skip here. What happens is, is there's this miracle that takes place. Some bread and fish were offered, and Jesus divides that up. And so now Jesus says, have the people sit down. So I'm now in verse 10. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. If you look at the New Testament, the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all list this story. They all give this narrative, a little bit different lens. You know, every person's going to see something, an event a little bit different than the other, so that's what happens. But it's only Mark who gives us the purpose of why Jesus did this. So if you were to turn to Mark, you don't have to this morning, I'll read it, but it's in Mark 6, 34, if you want to make a note. Here's what Mark shares. It says, he had compassion on them. So Jesus fed the 5,000 as an act of compassion. Compassion on the large crowd, Mark says, who is without a shepherd. And of course, you know, Jesus is the good shepherd. So this good shepherd is having compassion on the crowd. Compassion compelled Jesus to meet a physical need. That's what the passage in Mark shares. So the first act of compassion is feeding the hungry. So what we're going to find here is there's three acts of compassion. And the first we find is the feeding of the 5,000. And then I'm going to jump or carry on into verse 15. So continuing to read. And now perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was on the land to which they were going. So the second act of compassion was saving the disciples from danger. Sometimes we don't think about that as an act of compassion, but it is. And as we continue in this passage, here's what we find. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He sends the disciples by way of boat. He goes up to a mountain and prays. They get over to Capernaum, and now the crowd has caught up with him again. They're looking for Jesus, so they find him in Capernaum. And this is where we pick up in verse 25. It says, when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of throwed rolls. That's not in your version? It's in the Ozarkian version. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. 
here's what Jesus is saying. Do, do not work only for the things of this world. Work in light of eternity. That's why we're in a series talking about engaging our world with the story of Jesus. This is how we work for eternity. Be Jesus in the marketplace. Don't just go and collect a paycheck. Go and be Jesus to your neighbors, your friends, your families, and work colleagues. We're in John chapter 6, but if you just back up two chapters into John chapter 4, you'll find a story of Jesus visiting a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. And the disciples, they went into town looking for bread, looking for food, while Jesus goes to a well to change a woman's life. And here's what I want to point out here. The woman is amazed at what Jesus had to say. She goes back into town and tells others about him. And here's the point I want to make. The disciples, they come back from town with food, with bread. But the woman, she comes back from town with people. What do you think Jesus was more impressed with? And we live in this area. We work. But I wonder if we've simply come to get food, to cover our needs, or have we come for the people to see lives changed for eternity? Are we going to our workplace only seeing what we need, or can we see what Jesus sees? People in need of a Savior. Verse 35, this will be the last verse I read. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So we're in this series working through the I am statements of Jesus because we must engage the world with his story. We must be Jesus to the world around us. And if we want to be Jesus, we must understand who he is. She declares in the seven I am statements located in the New Testament book of John. That's what we're looking at. So we started two weeks ago with I am the door. Jesus is the door that leads to salvation. Last week we found he serves as a door as our good shepherd. And Jesus as the good shepherd, he lays down his life. For his sheep. Now, this morning, we find Jesus is the bread of life. Whoever accepts Jesus, everyone who says yes to Jesus, he has life for eternity. And now, as we find in John chapter 6, the compassion of Christ is expressed in three ways. And this is what I want to focus on this morning. He feeds the hungry crowd, he delivers his disciples from danger, and he offers the bread of life to a world of hungry people. So, to change the world, we must be like Jesus, and to be like Jesus, we must be compassionate like he is. And so the first way we do that, we can display the compassion of Christ by feeding the hungry. It could be hard for some people to consider how a 2,000-year-old narrative can apply to life today. But the more you consider the crowd that followed Jesus, the more you discover how much they resemble people today. Crowds are crowds and people are people. Whether they're fans at a Purdue football game, parents at a soccer match, teens at a concert, customers at a shopping mall. The people in the crowd Jesus fed on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee were just like you and me, and the people who exist in our crowds today. The crowd was hungry. So our family went to the Purdue football game yesterday. They won. I need to say this here. This is a commercial break. We've gone to two games. We went last November when they played Nebraska. What happened there? They won. 
We went yesterday, Eastern Kentucky, what happened there? They won. So any diehard fans that would like to provide more tickets for maybe future wins, <laughs> we'll attend if that's what's necessary. You know, but as we were at the game, and the kids constantly want drinks, so we just take them to the drinking fountain. But every concession stand I saw, I saw there was never uh, an empty concession stand. Always lines of people, always hungry people. They don't just go to watch the game. We all know they also go to eat. Crowds are hungry. Hunger is something that God has built into the human body to remind us to eat. Because without food and water, we'll obviously die. And there are a number of ways that Connection Point is involved with Compassion Ministry. You know, sometimes we're a part of a church and, and we don't know what's always happening here. So I'm actually going to ask, if you're involved in one of our Compassion Ministries, Connection Point Compassion, serving our greater Lafayette area through food pantry, through car seat ministry, through van ministry, through James 127, we've got a number of ways. Would you mind to stand that we could just thank you for the way that you serve? So if you're involved in Compassion Ministry, just stand for a minute. If you could stand and we could recognize you. We have many, many more than that. We have many that faithfully serve each and every week in ways that they display the compassion of Christ to the greater Lafayette area. Uh, we've held a few meetings as a Compassion Ministry Council because I want to examine how are we doing in this area and what are ways that we can maybe do even more. So I had them read a book. It's a great book if you're interested in Compassion Ministry. It's called Helping Without Hurting. And that's a task here. We're actually going to see this lived out in this passage this morning that we want to help people, we want to come alongside people, but lead them to a place where they make a decision for Christ. Uh, that's how we can help without hurting. And the, our Compassion Ministries, they've done a great job of following up with people, creating intake forms so they can find out what their real needs are. So I just want you to know you have a great group of people involved in this area of the church, and the Lord has really led them well, and they've followed the leading of the Lord. One of the things we've seen as we are walking through this is we see that we provide relief but what could we do in areas of development? And so there's a program called Living Free. And so we're looking and examining, is this something that we could do to walk alongside people, to lead them into a closer walk with the Lord? And I mention it because if those are things that you'd be interested in being a part of, call the church office and we'll find ways that you can engage and be a part of providing relief and developing people who need the help of the Lord in their lives. Because here's the thing, we want to start Living Free because as much as we want to meet people's physical needs, it's important we know there is a deeper spiritual hunger in the human heart that can never be satisfied with anything other than God himself. We know this. Augustine wrote, I love this, and it's very King james says, Thou hast made us for thyself. God has made us for him. And our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. If you're here with a restless heart this morning, could be because you've not been reconnected with your creator. I'd encourage you to find that rest that he longs for you to find today. How tragic that most people, they ignore God, the only one who can satisfy their deepest hungers. People spend money on substitutes, we know this, things that don't last, on stuff that can never give them joy. So Jesus instructs the crowd, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures eternal life. The crowd could not grasp what Jesus was talking about. They struggled with this. And here's what he was simply saying. Just as you ate food and it became a part of you to sustain physical life, 
So you must, by faith, receive me into your hearts and experience spiritual life. Then you will be truly satisfied. Life is difficult. Jesus even said it would be. He says, in this life, you will face troubles. The first century crowd, they were excited to find somebody who could easily meet their needs. They thought perhaps Jesus was a prophet Moses had promised in Deuteronomy 18. So they decided they should make him king. If Jesus were king, they thought, he could defeat the Romans and establish the kingdom of Israel again. Like many people today, they had a commercial attitude toward Jesus and wanted him to meet their personal needs. There are many people today, the same mentality. They want to accept Jesus on their terms. They don't really want to surrender their lives to Jesus. They simply want him to be a genie in a bottle, granting all of their wishes and desires. The profoundly shallow view of the Son of God, who came to give his life so that you and I could live with him for eternity. That first century crowd, they didn't want Jesus to deal with their evil nature and change their hearts. They didn't. But we must remember Jesus says, I am, not I will be whatever you want me to be. One person wants Jesus only as a religious teacher, but not as Lord and Savior, while others want him to give them business success so they can become wealthy. But we must accept him just as he is and not receive him in bits and pieces. If we don't accept him as he is, we don't receive him at all. So I admonish you, instead of only taking time to pray and to ask Jesus for everything you need, simply take time to sit in his presence, thanking him for everything you already have. Now, Jesus does want to hear your request. I don't want you to hear me wrong this morning. He's glad to hear from you. But more than he wants to know your request, do you think that Jesus doesn't know what you need? He already knows it. He wants relationship with you. He wants you to sit and to long for his presence. And if God's given you a heart to feed the physically and spiritually hungry, we can do this as we can engage in compassion ministry. So I encourage you to do that. We are compassionate as we feed the physically and spiritually hungry. And we do this to remove them from temporary and eternal danger. Because this is the second way that we can deliver or be a part of the compassion of Christ. We display it by delivering people from danger. So what Jesus did. As the disciples gathered up the pieces of bread and fish that were left over from the miraculous meal, they must have overheard what other people were saying about Jesus. This is the one we've been waiting for. He fed us and it didn't cost us anything. Perhaps he could get rid of the Romans and give us our freedom. You know, the disciples... They had their own faults, just as you and I do. They discussed matters concerning the kingdom and had debated among themselves which of them was the greatest. How could it be? This is why Jesus compelled them to get into a ship and sail back to Capernaum while he dismissed the crowd and went into the hills to pray. Danger was in the air. He had to protect them. Jesus knew the storm was coming. Do you think Jesus was unaware that that storm was coming? But he deliberately sends the apostles into the storm rather than allow them to be influenced by the unbelieving, politically-minded people in the crowd. It's important. Hear this. The twelve were safer in a ship on a stormy sea than on land with a group of spiritually blind, selfishly motivated people. 
So Pastor Jim, you mentioned today is the last day for Connect Group signups. We want to encourage you to do that because here's what I know. It is vitally important for you to have positive peer pressure in your life. You need to rub shoulders with other like-minded followers of Jesus to navigate the storms of life. Too much time spent with spiritually blind, selfishly motivated people can negatively impact the way that you live. We know this. Now, don't get me wrong. You should be hanging out with people who don't know Jesus. I do, regularly. But at the same time, you must also be spending lots of time with your brothers and sisters in Christ so they can spur you on in the faith. You come to Christ alone, but how do you grow in Christ? Together. I'm hoping you're getting that saying down, because it's true. So if you've not signed up for a connect group, Pastor Jim mentioned our leaders will be in the back as you leave for today. Please sign up so that you can jump on board from the very first week so that you can rub shoulders with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, as we look at this first century crowd, we find some of the people wanted to make Jesus king. But here's the problem. He's already king. What, what, was, what was he? He wasn't expecting that to happen. Why? Because he already was. Look what the psalmist wrote long before Jesus showed up on earth. Psalm 29, the Lord rules over the floodwaters. The Lord reigns as king forever. He didn't need people to say, come be our king. He said, I already am. Now accept me as that. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses them with peace. He says in Psalm 89, you rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise, you still them. As the eternal king, Jesus had the ability to deliver the disciples from danger. Obviously, he can keep us from danger as well. To display the compassion of Christ, we must also deliver people from danger. Now, many of you are aware that yesterday we hosted a Freedom 5K. Lots of you were here for that. Yeah, it was wonderful. I'd like to recognize those who were a part of that. If you were a part of the Freedom 5K, walking, running, volunteering, a sponsor, would you mind to stand? I just want to thank you for being a part of that event. A bunch of you. I'm sure there was lots of you. We had many, many people involved with that. And because of those volunteers, those sponsors, those runners, those walkers, we raised over $7,000 in support of the fight. Yes. All of that to help free people who are stuck in modern-day slavery. So thank you for being a part of Compassion by delivering people from danger. You very literally did that yesterday with every step that those walkers and runners took. They were being a part of freeing people caught in slavery. I want to take a minute to recognize Jenny and Jeff Ryder. They would not want me to do it. I didn't ask their permission. I'm sorry. Forgive me later. Um, but, you know, I, I actually went up to Jeff yesterday. Of course, I've been thanking Jenny along the way. Thanks for, she really spearheaded the event. And, but I thanked Jeff yesterday in particular because how many know if your spouse is involved with something, you're involved with something? Right, Mick? <laughs> I don't know how many things Deanna's volunteered him for. <laughs> Amen. But I thank Jeff because I know as Jenny has had to get so involved with what was happening with the 5K, it meant he's got to pick up some slack at home too. Um, so thanks, guys. You know, it's, it's an application of yesterday's message. Yeah. Last week we talked about laying down your life so others might live, and you guys did that. So I just want to thank you. Thanks for doing that. You know, you're displaying the compassion of Christ by delivering people from danger. So thanks for being a part as you gave in that offering, you were a part of that as well, whether you were there yesterday or not. So thanks for that. The last thing I'd say is you can display the compassion of Christ by sharing his story. 
As you read the narrative of Jesus feeding the crowd, calming the sea, and then engaging with the crowd once again in Capernaum, what you find is Jesus offered them the bread of life, but many of the people refused the gift. They walked away, and they followed him no more. If you read through John chapter 6, you get to verse 66, and here's what it says. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Isn't that incredible? And this is why we read books like Helping Without Hurting, because we want to help people along, but not to the fact where they've then dismissed who Jesus is. We have to meet both physical and spiritual needs. It's important. In this message, Jesus called himself the bread from heaven, the bread of God, the bread of life, and the living bread. He was using bread, a familiar top or object, to teach a spiritual truth. He did that all the time. You receive bread into your body and it sustains life, but receiving Jesus into your heart will sustain you for eternity. Jesus is the bread of life. And we cannot have spiritual life, eternal life, without him. We know this. When it comes to making a decision about Jesus, we have three choices, and I've seen this many times. The first is, we believe in him and are saved. May we all follow that path. The 11 apostles did. 12 disciples, but we know one of them didn't choose that path. You could reject him, but pretend to be saved. This is the path that Judas took. Or you could reject him openly and walk away, as did the multitude. So what decision have you made regarding Jesus? Do you believe in him? Do you pretend to know him? Or have you just flat out rejected him? You can display the compassion of Christ by feeding the hungry, delivering people from danger, and sharing his story. We live in a world filled with hungry people who are searching for food that satisfies, but they're having a difficult time finding it. They spend their money on things that do not satisfy and work without real meaning and purpose. Why? Because we who are enjoying the feast have not told them about Jesus, the bread of life, or we've not made it possible for others to tell them. May we not come to the end of our lives and hear, for I was hungry and you didn't feed me. Because Jesus will say, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. I'm going to invite a couple of our, our church people up here this morning because I want to talk about ways that we can feed a particular subgroup of people, orphans in particular. So I'm going to ask Carissa and Caleb, Mark and Melissa, Mark and Ashley, and Dion and Barb to come this morning. And I'm going to grab a microphone for you as they come. Can we just welcome them as they come up here this morning? As they're coming, I want to read from James 127. Here's what it says. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God. You know what? I'm going to put you in order here so I can make sure we're helping Andrew. Chris, I'll have you guys right next to me. And then if you guys, Walters, wouldn't mind to come next. And then the Whitehead's on their side. And there we go. Hackley's on the end. Everybody take a step forward. Steve Johnson told me I shouldn't make spiritual connotations like we want you into the light and not in the darkness. But it is true. We want you in the light. Um, so we're going to ask a couple of questions of each and every one of them. They all represent ways that you can be a part of fulfilling the scripture, James 1.27, because here's what it says. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So I'm just going to ask each one of these individuals a couple of questions. I've asked them to summarize ways that they're doing that. So the Bartholomews, Carissa and Caleb, they work with safe families. The Walters have been working with foster care for a while. I'm going to have you guys scoot down here. I'm going to step on the other side of you, in fact, if that's okay. So we've got some pictures of them. 
And then we've got the Whiteheads who are walking through the adoption process. And the Hackleys actually lead our James 127 ministry where the church comes alongside those that are interested in adopting. So I want to talk about ways that we can display the compassion of Christ specifically with the orphans in our community. So Bartholomew, if you guys don't mind to start, a couple of things I'm going to ask. And so if you guys can keep these things in the back of your mind, the questions of why did you decide to be a part of what you're doing, say families, foster care, adopting, um, how has it been? to be, in, be involved with that, to walk through the adoption process, and maybe advice that you would give for people that might follow in your footsteps. And then, Hackleys, I'm just going to have you share ways that uh, the church comes alongside those looking at adoption. So, Chris, if you guys don't mind to share. Yeah, we um, have been involved for about two years with a program called Safe Families for Children. It's an um, international program, but we have a new chapter here in Tippecanoe County. Um, it's a nonprofit faith-based organization that allows the church to come alongside families in crisis and um, assist with their children. So families who are experiencing things like homelessness or medical emergencies, um, drug addiction, any wide gamut of things, they can, they can ask for help with their children. Um, and then we have volunteer host families, volunteer case coaches. It's very similar to the foster care program. The difference is that families can ask for help for, with their children before any type of abuse or neglect has taken place. They maintain custody of their children and they can um, remain in contact with their children during placement. Like I said, we've been involved for about two years. We decided to become involved because um, we I have a passion for developing relationships, particularly with other mamas who are struggling, but with families that are in crisis and being able to um, lead mamas and daddies to Christ so that they can then lead their children to Christ. Um, so that's why we really decided to become involved. About a year and a half ago, you may have seen our family with an extra little two-year-old for about eight weeks. Um, we, I just wanted to share a little story with you of what it looks like to be a host family. We've been a host family for about a year and a half, and um, so we had Naomi with us for eight weeks. Her mama was coming out of, uh, out of a domestic violence situation and was experiencing homelessness. So we were able to just provide her a safe place to live and some food while um, her, until her mama found a place to live and a job. Um, so those are, that's kind of a way that you could be involved if you wanted to be a host family or if you wanted to be a case coach or just a family friend or a support individual. Um, really, if you have a, a, a desire to get involved, we'll find a way to plug you in. So we'll have a table on Main Street. Thanks, Krista. That's great. Yeah, it basically comes alongside families that are saying, look, I need help. And so then you assist them in that process, which is great. And then, of course, beyond that, then we've got foster care. And the Walters have been involved in that on many cases, if you guys don't mind to share. Um, for us, we got involved with foster care um, because we felt the Lord calling us to adopt. We had tried to give um, funds to compassion and all those things, and we just didn't feel completely um, fulfilled in that and felt the Lord was calling us to do more. Um, so we uh, got licensed in foster care, and we have adopted one child, and we currently have our 15th placement. Uh, one thing about foster care that I, I really enjoy is because it's an opportunity. When you go to training and stuff like that with foster care, you're also in the host and the company of a lot of other Christian people. And it's an opportunity to share. There's also non-Christian people there, but you also get to share your faith. They will allow you to share your faith in the class when you're teaching. So it's an opportunity. Also, when you have a child in your home, a lot of the times they come from abusive uh, situations. So you get to model with them what it is to be a father, what it is to be a mother. And it is really neat to see 
um, just as small things. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, we have a placement right now, and she was so funny because um, she sometimes kind of the distance. She doesn't say much and stuff, and so you kind of have to engage her to get her going. And, and the other night, we went to one of my daughter's soccer games, and I just simply got her out of the car, and she grabbed my hand, and we walked in together. And, and I asked her, I said, I told her she could pick out her snack of her own, what she wanted. And so she picked out a snack, and she's, it was just, it meant so much to her. I mean, and, and it's funny because she goes everywhere I go now, and she hugs on you everywhere you go, and, you know, she says, oh, you're my favorite guy. And so it's an opportunity if you actually live Christ in front of these children, bring them to church with you, and just be like one of your own children. And uh, so it's neat to just live that out in front of them. That's great. Thanks, guys. And then the Whiteheads have been walking through adoption. So if you guys want to talk a little bit about that, I'm going to be scoot up a little bit more. Because you're tall like me, so you get in the dark easy. <laughs> um, so we're um, going through the adoption process right now. And um, we are really started it out of infertility um, is the real reason. And um, we've been trying to have children for over four years. And um, we even went through in vitro fertilization a couple years ago. And um, through that process, we were just really devastated and just really kind of questioning God, like, why was he allowing this to happen to us? And what, you know, what was, what were we supposed to do next? And so um, the only thing we knew to do was to just go to God and pray about it. And um, we both just seek God individually and separately and both felt like that God was then leading us towards adoption, that that was the path that we were supposed to take. So... Um, we just, um, we just feel like that, um, you know, God placed that on us, and there's just a ministry here that, you know, I didn't, hadn't even really thought about that, you know, we're not, we're not matched yet, um, but we just know through this process, you know, whether it's coming in contact with a birth mom and a ministry that we can just pour into her life or her family, or whether it's sharing with you guys this morning, you know, we just know that this is the story that God has for our family and for our lives, and um just need to be able to share it. Yeah, I think uh, adoption is uh, probably one of the things we talked about growing up, or when, I should say growing up, when we first got married was, um, you know, adoption is something that we may want to do one day, um, but we didn't really think it would be, I guess, the first choice that we'd have kids and then adopt after that. But um, God has kind of changed our whole thought process when it comes to adoption. In fact, um, one of the things Ashley said is, you know, God has changed us so much that if we did get pregnant and we still believe God can heal us, amen, because God's a God that heals, but um, we would feel disappointed because we, God has put that passion on our heart so much to adopt. And um, I can say personally, going into adoption, I was a little naive, um, you know, about the process. It's not, you know, uh, you know, you go to a hospital and, okay, I think I want that one. There's a lot more to it, um, <laughs> a lot more. Um, but, uh, uh, and, and, and the cool thing about it, I think, is you really have to be open to God and letting him lead you. You have to do a lot of self-examination and just say, you know, God, here am I. And one of, I think, one of the biggest things that um, God has kind of taught us and a piece of advice I guess I would give to everyone is um, be open. And um, it's not about what you want. It's about what he wants. And it's about the child. It's about what's best for the child. Amen. So I think if you Amen. walk into it with that, um, it's an amazing journey. We're not, we're not 
through it yet. We're not finished, um, but we're excited. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. We're excited the day that we get to bring the kid up on stage to dedicate Amen. him to the Lord. So, awesome. Yeah. And then the Hackleys, I'm going to invite you guys a little bit closer to the center here, but I'd love for you guys just to talk a little bit about how the church comes alongside those that are looking to adopt. Uh, well, first, James 127 was started about six years ago. We had a slight boom in adoption in our church. We had six kids in under a year and a half adopted. <laughs> All of us had, as Whiteheads were talking about, that naivety that nobody knew what the process was, where to start. So we started James 127 to walk alongside, answer questions if anybody has about adoption, foster care. We can get them hooked up with people who have been in foster care um, and get those questions answered that they need answered so that they know what God is leading them to. And also, um, we also provide for adoption um, some kind of fundraiser support. So um, just a few ways that we have. Um, and for the Whiteheads, for their um, fundraiser, we are going to be having a dinner um, October 1st. So anyone that feels called to help with that, um, we will have a sign-up um, right outside after uh, service. Um, you can sign up to help. You can sign up to attend the, the, the dinner. Um, and then to um, answer any questions that people have that may be in the adoption bubble, as I call it, where you're not sure or need questions answered, um, we can either set up a time that we can just have that honest conversation of, like, this is what it looks like. And every adoption journey is different. Um, there's, not, there's no cookie-cutter process to it. So um, in all of the adoptions that we have been a part of and um, the ones that we, we know of through people that we've met um, in the adoption world, as I call it, um, they, every, every story is different. And God just knits it together. And we have the privilege of being parents of two um, children, our girls, that they are the answer to prayer, and we put them to bed every night and kiss them to bed every night, and they wake up every morning calling us mom and dad, and um, they cannot be a bigger blessing um, to us, and our family has been expanded, um, not only through them, but through their birth families. Um, they, We still have contact with them. They're very much... Uh, very honored part of our family that we keep alive and we make sure our children it's part of their DNA as I call it um, they know as soon as they're arrived that they know their journey they know everything as much as the details that we can give them and to know their story um, because we're all biological some of our families share DNA, um, but we get knitted together by Christ. So, Amen. Um, but yeah, there's many different ways. And if you have an adoption story, a story that you're willing to share with um, 
anyone else and be part of that conversation, um, we can induct you into helping with that too. Thank you. Thank you guys for all of you for sharing. Thank you very much. They'll be on a main street after the service if you want to ask any questions related to safe families, foster care, or the adoptive process. But we're just thankful that people all throughout the church are engaged in the compassion of Christ. So my challenge is, be Jesus, be compassionate. Uh, however, that the Lord would lay that on your heart to fulfill that mandate, I just pray that that would be something you pursue. Um, and we can be compassionate in multiple ways, by feeding the hungry, by delivering people from danger, and by sharing his story with others. I would say, too, as you, you give to the missions fund, you know, there's that offering uh, envelope, and on there it has a an area for compassion or benevolence ministries. And as you do that, we monthly support as a church Gifts of Grace, which is an adoption agency. So I just want to encourage you that as you're involved with the church, um, by giving, by praying, by engaging in ministry, you're doing something in the area of compassion for Christ. So thank you for, for doing that. Before we go today, I just want to encourage anyone that might be here who doesn't yet have a relationship with Christ, that you would choose to make that decision today. Uh, there was one of the individuals in our church came forward and she said, you know, I just feel like I need to be praying and interceding for this service. So I want you to know someone is interceding for you right now. And there's reasons for that. So if you come into this place and you have bondage, if you are restless, we talk about Augustine, that restlessness in your soul, there's a reason. It's because you don't have that relationship with Christ, but Jesus doesn't deem that to be so. That's not your future that is not what God would want and, and believe over your life. He wants you to have a relationship with him. So I'm just going to invite every head to be bowed here for a minute as we close. That if you're here today and you would say, I have a restless spirit. I have not yet walked through that door, through the good shepherd, that door he holds open for me. I have not tasted that bread of life, that life for eternity. But you want to make a decision to follow Christ today with all of your heart, soul, and mind. I just invite you to raise your hand this morning that we'd have somebody pray with you and lead you into that place. Thank you. I see this hand up here this morning. Anybody else? Hand here in the middle section today. Anybody else here today? Anybody else that would say, I want my soul to find rest today. I want that life for eternity. Not a temporary satisfaction, but one that lasts forever. Anybody else here today would say, I want to follow Jesus. Say yes to him. I want to just pray with you for a moment. Can we all pray together? Heavenly Father, we just pray for those that raised their hands here today that said yes to you today. We thank you for breakthrough in their lives, that there are people that are praying for them even now. And God, we just pray that you would pour out your spirit into their lives, that they would come to know who you are. Heavenly Father, we just pray that they would experience you and the fullness that you have for their life. Jesus, I pray that they would surrender completely and fully to you today. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. If you made that decision to follow Christ, you raised your hand. Deanne is over here on my right-hand side. And what we want to do is we don't want you to walk out of this place having simply made a decision and you don't know where to go from here. So we want to put a Bible in your hands and give you some instruction on where you go with Jesus. Because it's a lifelong journey. It's not just one moment. So we want you to have that opportunity. So as we begin to sing and sing this last song this morning, I would just encourage you, if you raise your hand, come find Deanne, and she's going to walk you off to a side room simply to get you a Bible and give you instructions. So you can go with her, and then we're going to dismiss. So I just invite everyone else, let's begin to sing to the one who's worthy of all our praise. Give life.